Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me to kill you. Hello, bonjour, and welcome to Forest Moon Radio, an X-Wing Miniatures podcast. Forest Moon Radio is a twice-monthly podcast talking about all things Star Wars, with a huge emphasis on the X-Wing board game. Hello and welcome to this extra or bonus episode of Forest Moon Radio. I'm Ewok Dave and I'm solo casting today. The Mandalorian Season 2 trailer just dropped and I'm excited to watch Season 2, so I was going to rewatch Season 1. And I thought, what the heck, I'm going to record myself watching it. I don't know if it's a commentary or just a rewatch or kind of just stream of consciousness being recorded, but we'll see if there's an episode. If not, I'll just flush it, but more than likely, we need content and I'm going to probably put it out. I'm going to just break the ice here and start talking with a bit of an appropriate joke. You ready? Okay. Helvetica and Time's New Roman walk into a bar. Get out of here, shouts the bartender. We don't serve your type. Yeah? Hello? Hello? Those were the jokes, folks. Uh, I'm kidding. All right. Let's get into this proper. The Mandalorian is a Disney Plus show, and it was created and written by Jon Favreau. And there's eight episodes. They're all under an hour, and most of them are directed by different different directors, although not every episode. Some of the directors got two episodes, I think. Dave Filoni and hmm, definitely Deborah Chow got two episodes. Uh, I, I We don't have to get ahead of ourselves. This episode is written by Jon Favreau, the first chapter one, and it's directed by Dave Filoni. And, like, Star Wars is, um, you know, heavily f- influenced by... George Lucas's love of westerns, samurai, and Flash Gordon serials, and this series is also obviously heavily influenced by westerns and samurai movies. I think that's why, kind of as I talk about it, I'll point some of this stuff out. Some episodes are direct homages to a certain movie or movie trope. Even within episodes, there are homages, uh, scenes homaging other western or samurai movies and there's some interesting actors that pop up that you might not know and i'll mention them too yeah so the mandalorian i liked it quite a bit i think i've said that six or seven times now anyways it is uh it's got some i think what i'll do is probably just start the episode and kind of watch it as i speak or you know what i mean it'll give me some ideas it's not not gonna be a commentary so much as uh I had some things to get off my chest, and watching it will help. I hope you don't hear it too much in the background. Anyways, I'm starting the show, and I did want to mention a few things here. I I uh, don't love the new intro, the new Star Wars intro, but that's nitpicky. 
I love that these episodes are short. I think it's very brave of Disney to be doing these at under an hour. And I love that it's a small, condensed, short story. I love that it comes out every week. You have to wait for it. And that it's episodic television. It's not serialized. They don't have to watch every episode. I do fear that in season two, that's going to be the case. This movie, or movie, sorry, TV show, obviously. It's got some great action sequences and some lighthearted comedic moments. It's got a really well-fleshed-out main character. He seems to have his own sense of morality and internal conflict and struggles. You know, Jar Jar Abrams could learn something from that, maybe. Where uh, It's got a great opening shot. The Mandalorian walking towards a snowy town. And he comes into a bar. Ooh, and he's got a great musical cue. It's, ooh, 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 ooh. It's very reminiscent of the Man With No Name trilogy and Ennio Morricone's music. So for Clint Eastwood and The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, you've got... And here you've got... And it's on woodwind. It's very, very obviously influenced by Western and Morricone, but still awesome on its own. These guys in the bar that he's kind of confronting were about to cut the... I think they were about to cut the balls off of Mott the Barber from Star Trek The Next Generation, the Blue Bolian. Although this is Mithril. I don't know the species name, but they were definitely going to cut his glands out and suck the juice to get high. I'm not sure if they were maybe going to try to sell it to other people to get high or whatnot. But they, Mandalorian spilled his drink, spilled these guys' drinks on his way in. And they get into a bar fight here. They tried to scratch his armor. And the uh, the bartender slides the drink over to the Mando. I think he was trying to help him because as the glass smashes, you can see there's no liquid in it. It was just a weapon. Mando uses his uh, arm rope to pull this last guy in through the door, which then closes and, oh, cuts his legs off. Bad ass. Yeah. This is a bad man. And he's turning towards Mott here. Uh, this is where we find out. Basically, the Mandalorian is a bounty hunter, and we're going to find out here that Mott the Barber was his quarry, and he's going to bring him in. And we get a pretty... Uh, I think this is where he, he... Yeah, so far, the main character, you haven't seen his face, you haven't heard his voice. This is all brave filmmaking. Thank you, John Favreau. Uh, this, uh, this wouldn't fly for a lot of companies. It's very risky. It's also very brave of Pedro Pascal to take the role, but, oh, this was sweet. I can bring you in warm, or I can bring you in cold. And then the Mandalorian starts. You get the great music, his amazing theme by Ludwig Göransson. He's a composer who's worked, oh, uh, for quite a while. He did the music for Creed and Creed Two and Black Panther. He worked on the television show Community, and he's produced an album or two for Childish Gambino. It was a pretty cool scene. This is all filmed in the volume. I hope I'm uh, going to mention everything I was thinking of. Jeez. This is all filmed in the volume, so it's pretty awesome. He's trying to get back to his ship with his prisoner. And uh, this alien called him an Uber. Oh, it's driven by a droid. No droids. Ooh, the Mando is a racist. Here's some extra cash. Get me a human, you prick. So the droid Uber takes off and this crappy other, this crappy backfiring Uber pulls up. And who's driving it? It's going to be Brian Posehn. <laughs> 90s comedian and actor Brian Posehn. Famously, 
who hates everything except the original three Star Wars movies. Although Rogue One's kind of turned him around on it. It's funny. It's funny that he would end up in here. That's a perfect casting. He's mentioned Star Wars many times in his act. He loves the original three and hates everything else. Although, like I said, Rogue One was turning him around. And they pull up to the Mandalorian ship. Mott's kind of uh, unimpressed. It's a Razor Crest. I think it's a pretty good looking ship. It's kind of like a, uh, it's kind of boxy, very Star Wars-y. A bit of a Winnebago with two, you know, actually it's a lot like the, I don't know if it's called the Lone Star, you know, the one from Spaceballs. Posein warns them to not be on the ice long and takes off. And Mott seems pretty worried about something. Boom! Oh, Posein is gone. Something jumped out of the ice and ate him. Cool sound work here. We'll get some more badassery here from the Mandalorian because the Ragnarok or Ragnarok or whatever it is, this giant hippo thing, hippo walrus, has got a hold of his ship. And Mando's gonna. Here we start to canonize the, unfortunately, the Star Wars holiday special because Mando's gonna go back and grab his rifle, which is kind of like a pulse disintegration rifle that the first time you see it is in the, the animated part of the holiday special where. Boba Fett appears riding a mithril? Is that what it's called? Mythosaur. Sorry, mythosaur. Anyways, Mando shocks this thing and takes off. And the Mandalorian is in space. And <clears throat> mithril or mot or whatever you want to call him, the blue dude here. The blue man group, that's what we'll call him. He's, uh, he's trying to con his way out of here. I don't know where he thinks he's going to go. He's offered a bit of money. It's basically, we're going to get to see, we're using this character to get to see a few things. Oh, wow. A toilet on a ship. That was his excuse. He was trying to find a toilet to go take his, like, week-long piss that he'd been holding in for six months. But this is amazing. The Star Wars toilet. It's so clean and kind of up against the wall. You'd just have to drop your pants and lean into it and very nicely poop. That would be awesome. we got a closet full of guns. And, uh, oh, we're about to get a little horror scene here. So Mando goes horror. We're in the basement and finding a bunch of bodies. This is not going to be good for our blue friend here. Nope, nope. Oh, yeah. He's, oh, damn it. They canonized it. Life Day. He said Life Day. The holiday special is real. It is part of the trilogy. Anyways, we do our horror movie scene here. He's finding the bodies in the basement, and he gets thrown into the, he gets frozen in carbonite like the rest of Mando's quarries. I don't have as much of a problem with this as a lot of the internet, I noticed. Uh, people complaining that, well, how is this technology so shortly after Empire, you know, condensed to fit into a ship? It took a whole room and process and was experimental. Whatever. This is easier than dragging around a bunch of whiny uh, prisoners that you got to feed and clothe. Hey, is that a Lancer Pursuit Craft I see in the background? Uh, I'm going to say it is. All right. Mando is landing at his home base, I guess. I don't know. Anyways, whatever. He's going to go see his boss. And this is awesome. Another bar full of gleep glops and weird aliens and whatnots. There's a couple of bosks and a Greedo. And a, I wonder if there's going to be a devil in here. Where's Mando going? What's he up to, I wonder, eh? Oh shit, it's Dylan. Dylan, you bastard. What's the matter? The CIA got you pushing too many papers. 
Carl Weathers in Star Wars. That is awesome. This guy looks so good. He looks like he could still kick my ass. He's probably pushing 70. Probably in his 70s, actually. Everybody knows Carl Weathers, right? He was in a couple of Rocky movies and the, not the Waterboys. Isn't that one Adam Sandler movie where they go golfing? And Mando wants payment. He won't take Imperial credits, I guess. I don't know. He'll take Calamari Flan. <laughs> He's getting paid in pogs or slammers. <laughs> this is awesome. This is kind of detail and world building I like that you don't see in a lot of Star Wars media. Oh, he unloaded all his bounties, got paid, and wanted another job. There was no real good paying job, so he f Carl Weathers tells the Mando about a, an off-the-books job. So he goes to a seedier, quiet, an even seedier, quieter part of town to meet the new job. There's a bunch of, oh wow, so a little bit of fan service. You get the eyeball from Jabba's palace letting Mando in, and a bunch of dirty stormtroopers. And Werner freaking Herzog as an Imperial, what, a moth or a, a general or something? This is so cool. Oh, and this is a great scene. Someone's walked into the room. Everybody pulls their guns. Mando's four to one. I like those odds. Anyways, Werner Herzog defuses the situation. You can tell this guy is pretty badass, too. This is not the first time he's been in a Mexican standoff. Everybody, please lower your weapons. We will talk calmly about business. This is so cool that Werner is in this. I'm sure he will be an amazing villain for season after season, and I have nothing to worry about. He will be the ultimate big bad in the last episode, and you will be real scared of him. Yeah, Werner Herzog, he deserves to be in Star Wars. What? Oh, David, you must never watch the tape of the last episode. You should destroy it. <laughs> you guys seen his, uh, is it Grizzly Man or the Grizzly Maze? It's pretty good stuff. Check it out if you haven't. Anyways, he's handing him some Beskar here. And we have mystery. So, some sort of purge. Mandalorians are hard to find and Beskar is hard to find. Now it's all very suspicious because there's mystery and... You know, speaking of that, why is Werner Herzog wearing this giant medal? Did the Emperor give him that for some sort of genocide? Ah, my Emperor, I do this for you. I wipe out these people for you, my Emperor. Anyways, Herzog gives him his job. He wants a quarry found. He doesn't have a lot of information about it. It's got to be all off the books and hush-hush. This is real illegal stuff going on. All he gets an age and a general location. This brings up these fobs again. I've seen online that a lot of people don't like the laziness of the writing here. Um, bounty hunters in the original trilogy were you know, badass hunters stalking their prey throughout the galaxy. And now, basically, you get a fob that uh, yells out, cold, 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 hot, 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 when you get near your quarry. I don't I don't think it's that big a deal. These things probably won't last even into Season 2. Anyways, Mando got paid. He took the Beskar as a down payment. And he's heading to some sort of Mando temple or synagogue. There's a blacksmith here. This is pretty cool. There's a big chrome mythosaur skull. It's real heavy metal. Love it, love it. And Mando's meeting some sort of 
blacksmith or temple leader or whatever. Uh, oh, she seems female, and oh, is she is a brack. Look, you got the little horns in the helmet, or a Maul Delorean. You remember in Clone Wars when Maul took over the Mandalorians, he had his own sect of Maul Delorians, and a lot of them put the the horns on their helmet like he had. So with a bit of the calamari flan for payment, the uh, blacksmith here is gonna forge him something out of the Beskar and keep a little bit of it for the foundlings. There's a little more exposition. We're getting a little... We're teased with some story here. Story and flashback and interesting stuff going on. Uh, he doesn't have a signet yet. And we're going to make him a brand new shoulder pad. And we find out he was... The Mandalorian was once a foundling here. And as the armorer... Uh, or the sorry, as the blacksmith kind of smithes smiths and shapes the metal, you get some flashbacks. Every every hit of the hammer, you get like a war flashback. It seems like some movie would be doing a Vietnam flashback here. All you need is some CCR in the background. It ain't me, yeah. It ain't me, yeah. I ain't your fortunate son, yeah. All right, Vietnam flashbacks done. Ooh, a shiny new shoulder pad for Mando. I love how Carl Weathers calls him that too, Mando. I got some COVID Mando around the belly here now these days. Alright, he's got his new shiny gear and he's taken off. Well, it's just one shoulder pad. Calm down. He takes off and goes to look for his catch. This is where we get to another Star Wars desert planet. And there's a pretty cool scene here where Mando gets surprised by these... Well, they're called Blurgs. I believe they're from the uh, Ewok TV movies. Definitely from Rebels. Or no, Clone Wars, sorry. But they look like a, like a big fish head buffalo thing. What would that be then? A fishalo? A buffalish? Buffalish, I like that, yeah. Some hot buffalish wings during the football game. That would be tasty. Anyways, he gets attacked by the buffalish and can't seem to fend them off, even with a flamethrower. He gets help from this little Ugnaught, which is actually some great practical effects. But it's Nick frickin' Nolte doing the voice. This is another great voice. God damn it. John Favreau wouldn't cast me in the Lion King, but he cast me in this! Oh my god! What the hell am I? An Ugnaught? Jesus Christ! Anyways, they become, uh, well, if not friends, their friend Lee. The Ugnaught kind of rescued him and takes him back to his house. This uh, feels a bit like The Empire Strikes Back when Luke's in Yoda's house, a little house there, and he's giving him food. Anyways, you learn that he knows what the Mandal he knows what Mandalorians are, and he knows what he's hunting. He basically explains to him that he's going to help him out. And he doesn't want payment for it. He wants half the Blurg. I guess he eats and uses them for transport. And like in a lot of Star Wars media, instead of landing his ship right near the town where he needs to go find the the, uh, the thing that he's hunting, he landed super far away and has to walk in. But you can't just walk in because the terrain is too dangerous. You've got to use a Blurg. And you get a scene here with the Mando trying to learn to ride the Blurg and getting kicked off. And we also find out that the Mandalorians don't take their helmet off. And this is actually something I wanted to bring up. 
This is a scene right out of Big Country from 1958. It is actually one of John Favreau's favorite westerns. It's one with Gregory Peck, where he's also uh, new to the area and has to learn to ride a horse, and he's shown how to do this by an old rancher, and he's kicked off a few times. This is an obvious homage to that. That's great. And he's kind of complaining about it a bunch of times when he doesn't have time for this, and that's where you get the, You are a Mandalorian! I have read the stories. Your ancestors read the rode the great Mythosaur. Surely you can ride this blurg. Anyways, he does, of course, learn to ride it. And they travel across the countryside towards where he needs to be. And this is, this is great use of the volume. Star Wars is at its best when it's innovating filming technologies. And it's doing that again. The volume is, is uh, I think it's 270 degree kind of bubble that is is led screens that line the line this bubble and you act inside it uh using the unreal game engine they can project anything uh, space or scenery uh people like it's it's just it's so much better than green screen or rear projection filming it makes this look spectacular everything looks so real it's really great for the actors too instead of just being in a green screen they're interacting with with scenery and creatures and people it's just amazing it's, it's going to be the way uh most things are going to be filmed i think in the future although disney's got the monopoly on it and it's going to be expensive if you want to rent this stuff for your production and we're coming to the last act of this first chapter and this is a huge western trope of course this is right out of the man with no name trilogy feels like for a few dollars more the Clint Eastwood character spying in on the old western town. And this is where we get to meet IG-11, Taika Watiti, voicing IG-11. He's hilarious in this. And so is uh, I, the IG units look great. They are scary. They, you know, they're, they're cylindrical and fluid. Obviously, he, he can see and sense all around him with his eyes and sensors. And the way his body moves and shoots in all directions at all times, it's so awesome and scary. If the droid army was made up of these in the first in the first prequel movie, man, they would have been scary. You can just imagine how these are great killers. And this whole last bit here, the shootout in the town, I'm like standing up cheering. This is uh, this was the most exciting thing I've seen since Captain America picked up Thor's hammer. And it's also right out of some old western. This uh, the whole scene is a western trope, but even more specifically. This scene where, oh, it's hilarious. Hold on, this is hilarious. Uh, IG keeps thinking he's going to die. He wants to blow himself up because he cannot be uh, captured. That is hilarious interplay between these two guys. So I guess he doesn't hate droids that much because he's going to kind of team up with him. And this whole end scene here is right out of Django, the 1966 Franco Nero starring Django, which actually is what... So the Django character not Django Unchained it was a movie before that but George Lucas named Django Fett after him so it's appropriate that there's an homage to him here with the Mandalorian doing the same similar thing they're in a giant shootout all the uh the desperados are kind of cornering them and they pull out this big laser gatling gun Mando gets IG to distract them and he jumps on it as as he's spinning around taking out everybody with this gatling gun this is right out of Django in uh, Django Franco Nero drags this coffin behind him, and he ends up in this town. And as the desperados are coming at him, um, he 
pulls this Gatling gun out of his coffin and lays waste to the entire town. This is right out of that. And then even later on, in I think 69, the Magnificent Seven did a, a similar scene. Their Gatling gun was up in the church tower, but it was uh, very similar. And theirs rotates as well. So beautiful homages here. They work perfectly. And in the end, of course, they've killed everybody. And they're left with a... They got to figure out how to get into this this base, and you get a little hilarious scene of both of them. Their heads turn at the same time, and they look at the Gatling gun. So they're gonna blast their way into the encampment with the gun. And uh, now the little bleep bloop thing is going hot, 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 hot. So we've obviously found our Cory. We open up this little egg, and what the heck is this, man? They said it was fifty years old. It's some sort of little baby. It looks like a little baby Yoda. And IG's mission is to kill it. Mando doesn't want to kill it. And this is, again, where we start to see some of the internal morality and struggle and conflict within Mandalorian, you know? We've established he was a foundling. He was a... And then through his flashbacks that, you know, some there's a bit of similarity here. He feels like a connection, maybe? Anyways, IG is going to kill him. And all this is playing out just on the Mando's mask. All you see is you're hearing everything and you're seeing the Mando's mask. IG raised his gun. You see the laser flash and oh, IG falls to the ground, shot through the head. Mando couldn't do it. He saves him. They touch fingers and the show ends. This was great. More great Ludwig Gornson music and some beautiful artwork ending the show. It's very reminiscent of Ralph McQuarrie's art, uh, original pitch art for Star Wars. Man, this was great. I liked it a lot. Very, very Western-influenced. If you uh, like Westerns, you probably will like this. So I don't know if this was an episode or not. I'm going to edit it and listen to it and see if the guys want to put this out. Maybe they'd like to join me to talk about some of the other episodes. The next one specifically, episode or chapter 2, is a huge uh, tribute and homage to Lone Wolf and Cub. So we'll get there. But for today, thanks for sticking around. I'm Dave from Ewok Squadron. I hope you enjoyed the show. And, uh, man, Mandalorian Season 2 looks great. Can't wait.